Hello and welcome to a special lockdown edition of Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast with me, Simon Walters, Assistant Editor of the Daily Mail. And me, Amanda Platal, Daily Mail columnist, live from my house in North London. Coming up, we've got one of Boris's closest friends who's providing us with quite a fascinating insight into the little-known childhood struggles that gave Boris the strength to overcome all the adversity. He faced adversity in his own way. Um, you know, as a child, he had terrible hearing problems for a while. And I think for, for a while, he was actually, you know, deaf. His mother was very ill when he was uh, young. New Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, says he will stamp out the cancer of anti-Semitism in the party that Jeremy Corbyn signally failed to cut out. How's he doing seven days into his leadership? It will tear out this poison by its roots and judge success by the return of our Jewish members and those who felt that they could no longer support it. And all over Britain, people have been composing COVID-19 songs in their front rooms to cheer us up. We feature one of the best by two likely lads from Guildford, Surrey, Danny and Neville. Hello, I know you're feeling lonely, but you're giving it up for the world. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify. Or leave us a review and email us at any time at orderorder at mailplus.co.uk. So this week, everything has been overshadowed by the news of Boris Johnson coming down with the virus, with get well messages from all quarters, including some of his biggest critics. Obviously, I am as worried about the Prime Minister as everybody is, and uh, I think there are so many families up and down this country who are, who are really anxious about what's happening. That was Gordon Brown, not a known admirer of Boris Johnson. There was also a message from the man deputed to take over as Prime Minister in Boris's absence. So all of our thoughts and prayers are with the Prime Minister at this time, with Carrie and with his whole family. And I'm confident he'll pull through. Because if there's one thing I know about this Prime Minister... He's a fighter, and he'll be back at the helm, leading us through this crisis in short order. And there was also a touching message from frontline NHS staff. Get well soon, Boris, from Cardiology Exum. We love you. And naturally, this bloke just had to get in on the act. I want to express our nation's well wishes to Prime Minister Boris Johnson as he wages his own personal fight with the virus. All Americans are praying for him. He's a friend of mine. He's a great gentleman and a great leader. And he's, uh, as you know, he was uh, brought to the hospital today. But I'm, I'm hopeful and sure that he's going to be fine. He's a strong man, strong person. Amanda, so what do you make of the outpouring of public sympathy of a Boris? It's been quite astonishing, hasn't it? Well, it, it just goes to show that he has kind of pulling power, not just in um, Britain, um, but across the world. I mean, we've always mm. known there's something larger than life about about Boris. I mean, he is quite an extraordinary man. It's sort of slightly weird. It's almost like, I mean, not for a second saying that he's beyond the pale or anything, um, but it, it's almost kind of nice that it's almost like having your obituaries all read out while you're still alive <laughs> and about to get better. Yeah, it, it does. Feel Wouldn't like, well, you like that? What would they say about you, Simon? Uh, well, let's, uh, let's, I dread to think, actually, Amanda. <laughs> um, but I, I did, I was struck, even Piers Morgan and Hugh Grant, Hugh Grant said, yeah, well, I have been a bit of a critic of Boris Johnson, but he, even I'm rooting for him today. A bit and of I a critic. Right. He has hated him. Yeah. He's but, vitriol towards him. But, but, I, but yeah. I, I, I think one of the things it, it, it shows that is, 
it, Boris does have this unique appeal. I mean, he didn't win the Brexit campaign and the general landslide for nothing. But I think it's brought home to us, actually, also, that he's, that he's pretty much irreplaceable. He stands so far head and shoulders above the rest of the cabinet that the thought, um, God forbid, of, of, of having to continue without Boris at the helm is very hard to see how any other Tory prime minister is going to have the... Is going to have the um, the authority to do it. Okay, well, we, we go into uncertain times, and, and despite what um, what we're being briefed by um, number 10, you know, as all of the medical experts say, this virus, when you get it as badly as he's got it, takes mm. weeks, if not months, to get over. Mm. And I think the interesting thing is that we're starting to see um, other people who, you know, some like Dominic Raab, who is now in charge, his his comments when he was talking about Boris is not just his colleague but his friend. Yeah, and, it was good. And wasn't he it? was and he was brilliant. I mean, he yeah. was you know he was um, he was clearly quite tearful, which makes us sort of wonder if they they know that he's sicker than we think. But I just think that we're going to see these characters like Dominic Raab come into his own. Interesting, as you just said that um, that it's the Chancellor who Boris has insisted gets the yeah, number three. Slot. So, so, so we now have we now Rishi. we now have a deputy. We now have a deputy's deputy prime minister, which is Rishi. Yeah. And um, I think what's what's interesting about this is that the the two real heavyweights in the cabinet without Boris are really Hancock and Michael Gove, and both of them have been overlooked for this. Now I wonder why that could be. That can't possibly be Boris still remembering the way that Gove knifed him in that leadership <laughs> contest, could it, Amanda? <laughs> I'd look, um, uh, for those of us who know Boris, and I do know him a little, not in any intimate way, um, but I do know that he's incredibly thin-skinned. Um, it's one of the qualities that doesn't really sit well with this kind of rumbunctious um, chap um, who's sort of full of the joys of life, but he's very thin-skinned and he's very unforgiving. Um, and I think that this is like his act of, of vengeance against Michael Gove because, you know, whatever else, um, however much he betrayed him, he is a really solid and sound and comforting voice during this time. But instead, it's going to be Rob and Rishi. Rob now and Rishi. That's the ring to it. Yeah, there have been amongst the many, the many, many aspects of, of coronavirus that there's been talk recently that it's not just humans that are affected, um, that it's animals, that cats can be affected as well. And while while one is tempted to say that this really doesn't count for row beans alongside the human devastation, I know that you are a great cat lover, Amanda. <laughs> um, are you? I mean, I'm being serious here. Are you? Are you? Are you worried? Well, I am. I suddenly look. Uh, Ted is actually walking around on um, my um, my room at the moment. He's just being a complete pain. Um, and but I have noticed that he is sleeping. Um, like my good friend Andrew Pierce, our great friend, who has had the virus really badly but mm. not had to be hospitalised. He is sleeping um, twenty hours a day. Um, he is kind of um, whingy and bad tempered. Um, and, and I'm just wondering, crikey. Are, are, are we know? talking about the cat? Are we talking about Ted here or Andrew <laughs> Pierce? Just be clear. Both of them. Both of them. And also, the thing I've noticed is that Ted's completely off his food, which is unknown. Oh, mm, but that's mm. because he's probably lost his sense of smell and taste, which yeah. Andrew had as well. And I told him to go into his um, bathroom and spray cologne on him constantly mm. and see at what point he actually starts to smell again. But he's, mm. doing, a, he's doing a lot better. Good. I don't know what we do about 
I don't, I, you know, I just don't know what we do about our cats. Hmm. Well, stay away from pussy. That's my motto. <laughs> Amanda, what else um, have you been no, coping yourself? that should yourself? be Boris's motto. How, 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 how else are you coping? Are you all right are you, yourself? And any, any other measures you've had to take? You've been in isolation quite a while now, haven't you? Oh, Simon, I've, um, I actually got sick on um, Friday the 13th of last month. So I've actually been stuck at home um, for nearly a month now. And, and, and quite honestly, you know, I feel it quite, I, I find it quite lonely. I know mm. that everyone's kind of raving about doing these, you know, these group chats. And, mm. Aren't, um, you learning, and, aren't you using these to learn origami? I've known that's always one of your great ambitions. <laughs> but that's even more isolating. It's really, really hard. I mean, I have been going out to shop for, um, for me and for Andrew, and I drop mm. his, the, the only person I've really seen is him from like 20 mm. feet away. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I'm learning new skills because I hadn't had the hair for quite a while. So I didn't even know my hair was getting very long. So, so I've had a go at cutting it myself. Uh-oh. And um, it's true that I came close to blinding myself several times <laughs> uh, when, I, when I was trimming my eyebrows. But um, I, I'm going to stick with it and save, save 20, 20 quid every few months, you know. I quite like, they quite like what it looks like. Okay. Good it uh, looks. Okay. Confession to, um, to all the listeners now. Um, Simon, I challenge you to put that picture of you after you'd scalped yourself onto this, uh, onto, the, onto the order, order page. So right, people now, can Amanda, make Amanda. their own judgments about it looks absolutely terrible. I'm interjecting here. We're moving to the next item. (laughs) Will Walden, head of communications for Boris Johnson in his days as London mayor, knows the prime minister better than most. As well as working together, they've organised family and friends, sports days and barbecues. Will says that Boris is so competitive, he once refused to speak to Will after Will gave his wicket away in a family cricket match. But Will says if cabinet ministers use Boris's absence to fight each other instead of the virus... There'll be trouble at Mill when Boss gets back. He'll be a reluctant patient. He hate, you know, he hates having to de- deal with stuff like this. He just wants to get on with it. But I think, you know, for once, he'll be doing what he's told by the doctors. And I think, that, you know, that's an, a, an important thing. And I, and I, I trust and hope that he'll, he'll, he'll be making a, a full recovery. And it'll be a bit of a shock for him, for sure. Um, but, you know, he's a strong guy. He's a fit guy. He plays a lot of tennis. He runs. He's far fitter than he looks. I know he looks a bit overweight, but he's a kind yes, of he, 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 he does look pretty. He doesn't look that fit. But uh, no, you say but he is. It, what's his regime? Uh, his regime is um, a plodding jog, um, but but actually he's um, you know he's a lot. He, you know, look, I've played a bit of tennis with him, and I, I I would consider myself a fairly decent tennis player. He would whip your backside regularly, and he moves quickly when he needs to. Uh, and I think actually, you know, he played a lot of rugby and a lot of cricket. Um, you know, when he was a kid and at university, um, you know, and his weight has fluctuated, and he likes a bit of cheese and a bit of red wine. But he's not a smoker, and I think you know he's certainly actually far fitter. Than he was when he was foreign secretary and i think that's because you know lots of meals in planes traveling all around the world as opposed to in downing street there is the freedom to run in the parks with the security detail and and, and he does do that on a regular basis mm. so I, I i'm look obviously everyone's concerned but i'm not too worried i think you know he's got a strong constitution and i think if anyone could pull through it boris can and, he, and he's pretty com- competitive t- t- tell us about the cricket match oh uh, yeah, the, yeah, it, yeah i mean it, I, it, I, it, I think, with a disagreement between the two of you friend yeah, albeit friendly one 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is this is typical Boris, and I think you know it gives me great hope for the kind of spirit and optimism that that he brings. He'll bring to his recovery. Um, this happened about five or six years ago, and obviously, you know, we're colleagues, but we're also good friends. And he was having a family and friends barbecue at his uh, house in Tame, and we were we were playing a game of cricket, and um, I, I was um, last batter in, um, and I think I, I basically needed to just you know drop the bat and run, and and and, and my side, which Boris is on, would have victory, but lots of the teams are made up of kids and i thought you know do you know what let's my competitive spirit let's not let it get the better of me and whack it out of the ground i thought i'll just give my wicket away and we can have a tie because you know, the scores were tied so i promptly you know batted one up and was caught by one of the children and everyone was delighted except for the then mayor of london who gave me an absolutely thunderous stare um, and basically walked past me saying what the hell did you do that for um and off he went and i think it was interesting you know it lasted about 10 minutes and it was more joshing than anything else but i think what was an interesting insight into his competitive nature and i remember three years later at evening we were there for his birthday when he was foreign secretary and my daughter i, I you know i is now eight and was probably you know probably five or six at the time um uh, you know um was playing rounders with him um and and you know rather than sort of gently bat it round the outfield and take a run she picked the ball which he promptly dispatched into the lake um and uh, you know with great sort of elan and gusto and a big hearty smile and, and you know i mean he didn't reduce it to tears or anything she thought it was hilarious as well but it's it's classic boris and i think it's that you know optimism that can do that fighting determination which i think we'll see him right in the end but there, there, there's a kind of a sense of invincibility about him isn't there because he, he famously made that remark when he was a child that, he, that what was uh, his ambition was to be world king and do, do you think he he would have been genuinely shocked that he Boris could have been could have been brought so low by this. Yes, he wanted to be world king, but uh, just remember that you know he faced adversity in his own way. Um, you know, as a child, he had terrible hearing problems for a while, and I think for, for a while he was actually you know deaf. And and effectively, you know, um, his mother was very ill when he was young, and he was he was very much a kind of guide for his younger brothers and sisters. So I think there's always been a kind of steely determination that he will look after others. Uh, he, Boris was famously the, you know, the Heineken Tory, could reach parts others can't. He was then the Marmite Tory and Prime Minister with everything around Brexit. There's already been evidence of sort of infighting in the Cabinet with Michael Gove and Hancock sniping at each other. What, mm. what would Boris Johnson make of that? I, I think he's made, probably made it very clear to them, and, and my attitude would be, you know, if I was in Downing Street, you know, grow up if that's what's happening. Uh, he clearly hasn't forgot the way Mike, Michael Gove um, uh, betrayed him in the in the leadership <laughs> context a few years ago, because D Dominic is deputy. Now we hear Rishi Sunak is the deputy's deputy. Nothing for Michael Gove. He doesn't trust him, does he? Now, I, look, uh, Simon, nice try. I know you're re re reading too reading too much into that. I think I think they you know they they work very well together. And, and Michael is a great doer at the heart of government, which is why he got the job on on the on the uh, on the Brexit preparation piece. Why he got the job at the cabinet office at the centre of government. He's a very very important minister, and I think all of that is in the past and, and it's forgiven. Well, actually, there's some very interesting revelations about Boris's childhood there, weren't there, Amanda? Simon, I, did, I had no idea. I knew that his mother had been sick and um, had mental health issues, but that must have been so incredibly isolating for him as a child to, you know, have to kind of pick up the bat and look after the siblings. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that he'd gone deaf when he was young. Yeah. Uh, it probably explains a little bit of his kind of resilience. 
Yeah, well, I think that's the point Will was trying to get across. And actually, you tend to think of him as an Etonian with a with a privileged background, but yeah. but actually, he did have some quite difficult um, emotional struggles and 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 uh, physical struggles as a child. And and because uh, he made that, uh, I asked Will about it. That famous comment of Boris when he was asked what he wanted to be when he grew up, world king. And it, it's it's that kind of relentless thrusting ambition, isn't it? I know. It's I always think of that quote of his. You know, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you want to be when you grew up, Simon? Oh, I can't remember. Rugby player, I think. Oh, I, I think I wanted married housewife with five kids throwing dinner parties. No, it's and not look too late. Where it's I not too late. Up. It's not too late, Amanda. <laughs> and I thought the other thing was absolutely hilarious was his competitive instinct when Will told the story about the cricket match and Will threw the match so that, you know, the kids, everyone had draw, everyone was happy. But Boris, who would have been on the winning team, didn't speak him for 10 minutes. <laughs> and then the other one, Achievening, when they had another no game of rounders, I think, and Will's young eight-year-old daughter uh, dollied up a ball to Boris. And instead of just patting it nicely, Boris thumped it into the Achievening Lake. He can't help himself, can he? But we do, look, we wish him well. Um, you yeah. know, who knows how sick he is, um, but to be in intensive care is pretty serious. And, you know, all we can say is, you know, for all of his family, it's kind of the Queen even sent Carrie and his, his fiancée yeah. Carrie and his other family. It's always this sort of ambiguous thing to the whole family, to Marina, to the kids, mm. you know, her private that, you know, well wishes, which I thought was quite lovely. Yeah. Get and a sign of the times, Simon, that... We have these incredibly blended, multifaceted families. Mm, yeah. Leaders of the Jewish community say that Keir Starmer has done more in four days to stamp out anti-Semitism in Labour than Jeremy Corbyn did in four years. Let's hear what Keir Starmer's had to say about the issue. Anti-Semitism has been a stain on our party. I have seen the grief that it's brought to so many Jewish communities. On behalf of the Labour Party, I am sorry. And I will tear out this poison by its roots and judge success by the return of our Jewish members and those who felt that they could no longer support us. Amanda, is Keir taking the right steps here? Look, he's been much more um, forthright than I expected he would yeah, be. Yeah, I mean... Um, he's got uh, some lead in his pencil after all. He certainly has, although even lead in a pencil is as grey as he is. But interesting, Simon, that um, out of the front line have gone Diane Abbott. Yeah, um, we'll miss her. <laughs> we will miss her. Yes, well, that's why Shami, I said Shami Shakrabarti, who were both very high-profile um, people in Corbyn's front bench, and also Rebecca Long-Bailey, who was the Corbynist uh, continuity Yeah, well, candidate. she's got a job. It's a fairly, she's got the education slot, so she, she's, she's not out on the front line. He's given her yeah, a Yeah, an job. education job when the schools are all closed, like big job. Yeah, but what about the comeback of Ed Miliband? I mean, that, oh, was, a, that was the real surprise. And I, I, I think he, he reminds me a little bit of William Hague, who you worked with. <sighs> he sort of became leader. He was this slightly nerdy, super intelligent, but not quite fully formed politician. He, Miliband became Labour leader very young, didn't do very well. Rather like Hague, but Hague had a very successful later career in the cabinet. And, and I, I think maybe this is the same for Ed. I thought that I thought it was a brilliant move to get Ed back, and you know Ed has has suffered hugely um, politically and and personally because he stabbed his own brother in the back for the leadership, mm. David, 
what um, Kia's doing is bringing back people who've been there, who fought in the front line. And I think, yes. that, um, that I think yeah. the Ed Miliband appointment is absolutely inspired. Did you know that I, I still quite struggle to get my tongue around Sir Keir Starmer? Did you know his middle name is Rodney? And I think if he changed it to Rod Starmer, it uh, sounds, you know, like Rod Steiger, Rod Stewart. Definitely a bit more thrust about it. I'm going to suggest okay. it. Okay, you heard it here first. I'll go for that. <laughs> All right, Simon, it's time for your favourite bit, Topical Tune, which is um, evidently some people that you know that have written a song, but, but I want to put a shout-out right now for you to write a topical tune for this show during the crisis. Okay. Over to you. If you can send me some lyrics that rhyme with coronavirus, I'd be grateful. <laughs> I can't even say it, Simon. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, certainly not sing it. Yet this song, I thought this, the topical tune this week is not one of the great songs that we've gone for from the uh, past decades. It's a song written by one of the many groups of people who are using this crisis to sit down in their front rooms to write songs about coronavirus. This one was written actually just in the last few days by an old mate of mine, Neville Dean, who runs the Abacus Recording Studios in Guildford, and his mate, Danny Lee. And it's a lovely song, sung beautifully, beautifully written, very, very touching lyrics, and I hope it does well. Outside, it's quiet. You're really not the only one that's scared of how this will unfold. Unsung heroes are many. Pilot can strive Camping out on the front line Taking risks, saving lives Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And join us next week for more political and coronavirus chat. Well done, Amanda. You said it. <laughs> I said it. I've been but, practicing so much, Simon. I've been practicing in the in the bed in the bathroom mirror. <laughs> Careful. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters, and from me, Amanda Patel. Now, Amanda, I'm going to practice. I'm going to go one, two, three, and then okay. we're going to say goodbye. Okay. One, two, three. Goodbye. goodbye.